in our uh, span of life, there are uh, certain days that seem, appear, give off the aura of being bigger than others. Remember the day you got your driver's license, right? Um, Danny's still waiting a few years, but the rest of us, um, what a day that was. You walk in praying you'll pass, right? Then all of a sudden the state of, for me, Illinois, many of you, the state of Missouri, hands you that little token of treachery, right, for many of you. How many of you guys got in a wreck like in your first three or four months, right? Okay, half of us at least, good. Let's keep giving licenses to 16-year-olds. Um, then, uh, then you graduate high school, you guys remember that day? Pretty big day, pretty exciting, you throw the hat in the air, it's pretty awesome, and you have no idea what you're going to do with your life, but you're still pumped about it anyway. And then for some of us comes marriage, and what a big day that, that is and was for me. And, and then you have kids. And kids bring on a whole new set of big days. Uh, some days you wish would have never happened, and others you cherish forever. Well, I had both of which in the last 24 hours. Um, <laughs> uh, today happened to be uh, my little girl's first day of a kindergarten and uh, yeah, and they don't, they don't prepare you for this. Like they, there's, not a, there's not a class you go through. Um, there's not, you know, Oprah didn't even have a show about this. I mean, there, there, nothing culturally prepares you for the day your kid goes to school. And so a couple days ago we had open house. And there it really hasn't hit you. You're just kind of walking around. This is awesome. And then today uh, she's getting her backpack, Puma, by the way, Puma backpack, um, <laughs> And, uh, and I had the privilege of taking her in uh, as Heidi was waiting with the riffraff in the car. And uh, she finds her teacher, awesome, awesome uh, young woman. And she sits down and she, you know, looks at me with those beautiful little eyes that my little girl has. And uh, she says, bye-bye, Daddy, you know. And uh, I was like, no, you know, no, I'm not. Um, but she had a great first day. She met a couple friends who she can't remember their names, praise God. And... Uh, we're excited to, uh, you know, one of the big things we've been teaching and encouraging her is how to serve others, uh, even as a five-year-old, soon to be six. Uh, on the flip side of that beautiful moment, I had a moment yesterday with one of my sons that an old vulnerability I'd like to share with you. Again, they don't prepare you for these days. Pull up to the park, and, uh, you know, we're, it's a beautiful night. Weather's been awesome, right? And uh, my son, is kinda, he kind of runs ahead of me a little bit. And I open my eyes... And my son has climbed uh, a few steps high. There's a lot of traffic. And he has decided that right here in this particular place is where he's going to go to the bathroom. <laughs> uh, my son's been potty training, okay? And uh, the park's very busy at this point. And I'm about 40 feet away, all right? And so my son is um, down to the ankles and just going for it right there in front of the whole park. And I ran as fast as I possibly could, but there's like, you know, parents, you know, huddling their children, like run from the scary kid. And Dawson is just like smiling. I mean, he's just loving it, you know, like this is awesome right now, you know. <laughs> so embarrassed, I kind of like tuck my head. I'm like, son, we do not go to the bathroom in the public. But dad, you do it at home. Hold on a second. No, 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 no. Totally different, right? Um, we have all these big days in our life and some you want and others you don't. Um, Today is a big day for us, um, not just as a, a chapter um, seems to close and open for us as a church, but um, we get the privilege tonight of ending the book of James, and if I could say I was excited tonight, it would be an understatement, um, 
I feel like there are things within this a particular passage uh, that God has revealed that I think have the potential to change um, your heart uh, as it has mine for not just a day or two, like I know some teachings or passages do, but for the long haul. So I hope you're excited, guys, to journey tonight as we close uh, the Main Street chapter and era of Matthias and as we end the book of James. So open your Bibles uh, to James chapter 5, uh, all the way from verse uh, 13 to the end. And uh, really excited about this passage. Um, I hope the, the Lord has been softening your heart all day in preparation for what he can and I believe will do this evening. When you guys are there, say I'm there. James chapter 5. Here we go, verse 13. Let's read it all and then we'll break it down. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be, what's the word? You may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 17 and 18, fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Finally, in verse 19 and 20, the end of James' letter. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Interesting choice to end a letter. A powerful text, and I hope you guys are ready to journey with it tonight. Verse 13 through uh, 15, we'll take this in sections. Let's start there at the top. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Um... What an amazing way to start an exhortation. Is anyone suffering? Yes, please, right? Let him pray. Again, he's writing to a church that's being persecuted. They're undergoing tremendous trial. It certainly encompasses persecution, suffering for the gospel, the name of Jesus. But I also think that James, uh, by the word here, is encompassing uh, just folks who are struggling. They're sick. They're under turmoil and trial. He says, look, if you're suffering, there's no need to go to anywhere else. There's one place that will comfort, and so you, you need to pray. And I love the way that James brings this in. Uh, he leaves no doubt. He doesn't say, here's your process. First you do this, and then you do this, and then finally you'll end here. He says, you're suffering, you pray. So why do we make the equation more complicated? Going through trial, suffering for the gospel, come upon difficulty. Why is it, my friends, that we keep seeking comfort in areas that never provide? Why do we go back? When James makes it very clear, there's only one place to go in any circumstance, and that's the Lord, period. You go there, and there you'll find comfort. He's the God of all comfort, the scripture says, right? So you go there. You find your rest and trust in him, period. And then I like how he uh, switches this on us. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Okay. Well, cheerful, uh, most literally also, Blue Letter Bible, remember from a couple, couple weeks ago, also means just, it's just joyful, right? So is he saying, okay, if you're suffering then you should pray but if you're cheerful or joyful then you sing no in my opinion he's making two statements that interconnect why because first thessalonians 5 says rejoice always even in the face of trial even in the face of struggle even in the face of persecution rejoicing should never cease why because no matter what's happening on this earth no matter how deep your struggles feel right now 
in the scheme of your soul, resting in the Savior of Jesus, there's nothing that, 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 there's nothing that pales in comparison, right? I mean, like that, that forever will be our great hope and grace. And so um, if you're suffering, you pray. If you're cheerful and joyful, you sing song of praise. If you're struggling, you sing song of praise. And if you're cheerful, you pray. You go to the Lord in all circumstances. That's what James is saying. There's no other place to go. I know maybe you're going to many other places, but what James is beginning, his last exhortation is, we go to the Lord, that's my summation. <laughs> How about that thesis statement? In all circumstances, go to Jesus, right? Now this, now this letter uh, and this end of his exhortation gets really interesting. He says, is any among you sick? Now, um, I think, of course, this is connecting with the previous verses. Is any of you suffering? So the sickness could be in terms of his persecution, but I think in general, he's, he's trying to encourage those who find themselves downtrodden, who find themselves burdened, very potentially with the circumstances that feel uh, or, or attain of this world. And he's just saying, look, is any of you sick? Then he says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This scares many of you right now, right? You're like, hold on a second. We're going to start anointing people with oil up in here? Like, this is taking a whole different meaning. I'm not sure about this. I'm going to point your attention to a couple things. And if you guys notice the word elder, and if you guys notice that it's plural, okay, uh, you may think that, uh, that there's, you know, uh, cases or uh, punctuation in the Bible that really doesn't mean uh, much. The case that the elders here is plural is significant. Why? Because Paul and James and the other apostles were planting churches that were to be elder-led by a plurality of elders, Okay? We see both in, in Titus and Timothy the call for an elder. We've gone over that uh, many nights here at Matthias. I don't have time to give a dissertation on that this evening. But what we can say is a plurality of elders. In other words, the senior pastor model we don't find in the Bible. Do you ever see senior pastor in the Bible? Anyone? Does it ever say, Paul, the senior pastor? No, in the scripture there is a first among equals. Uh, commonly the visionary, maybe uh, the primary communicator or teacher. But the eldership is the plurality Multiple men, husband of but one wives, Timothy and Titus says, that are leading the church. And what does uh, James point to? They're leading the church with tremendous, what, care. He's talking about the relationship between the shepherds and the sheep. There's this relationship that's been built up where they tremendously care. This past weekend, our lot family leaders, 60 of us, crazy, 60 leaders, I had a retreat together. And the whole theme of the entire weekend was how do we as a church continue to shepherd our people better? We don't want one person to fall through the cracks. We don't want one person to not know that they're loved. We don't want one person who has a need that goes unmet. And that starts with the elders who have been called to lead this church, but it encompasses as well our leaders who are desiring to shepherd you as best we possibly can. Are we together? Our heart is to shepherd the flock that God has given us. And what James is saying is, look, if you've got a need, go to the elders. Why? Because these are supposed to be, according to the scripture, men of God. Men who are seeking the scripture. Men who are intimately connected with the Lord in prayer. You're sick? Go to the elders. And you know what? They're going to pray over you. And the anointing piece of oil here probably has multiple meanings. In the time, it could have been medicinal. Uh, medicinal. For me, I think just it's a pointing to claiming the victory of the Holy Spirit's ability to work and do a healing, a uh, magnificent peace in someone's life, right? I've gone to hospital rooms before and anointed folks uh, on their forehead with oil. There's no power in like the liquid, just like there's no power in the water. The power is in what God can do. Agree, right? 
there's just certain symbols at times that God has given us to remember that he's extremely powerful. All that to make one really incredible statement in verse 15. And the prayer of faith. Um, if there's anything tonight that has gripped my heart, it is that phrase. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, James says. Thinking a lot about prayer and its relationship to faith. And I've been wondering, what happens when you pray and there's no faith? What happens when you pray if faith isn't a part of the equation? My contention to you is that you've stopped praying and you started talking. When faith leaves the equation of prayer, then what are you doing? You're talking to yourself. If there's no belief in God's ability, and if you don't believe in your heart that you're talking to someone, then you're talking to yourself. You think you're praying, but in actuality, you're going through the motions. God's completely devoid of the entire equation. But you've been trained and taught, fold your hands, now speak. Many of you preach while you pray. That's nowhere in the scripture, right? If you're going to preach, just preach. Open God's word and communicate God's word. If you're going to pray, seek the Lord through his son Jesus, who's our high priest, representing us to God, and go to it. You see what I'm saying? Now, uh, the image that comes to my mind, you guys remember, uh, many of you guys maybe even, even actually had telephones in this time. Remember uh, Andy Griffith's show? You guys remember? Love Andy Griffith's show. Didn't Andy Griffith just pass away? Man, what a stud that dude was. Barney Fife, that whole show. I grew up, yeah. Someone was whistling the song, I love it. Well, back, back on the Andy Griffith show, and if you haven't seen it, repent, all right? But back on the Andy Griffith show, <laughs> they still had operators. And it, what, did, did Aunt B run the operator? Okay, who did? Do you remember her name? Sarah. Sarah? Okay, there, there we go. There's someone who was alive a while ago. Now, <laughs> God love you. All right, so you, you, guys, you guys remember the operators, though? Like, you know, someone would call in, and then they would plug, right? And so mentally, we get this image of Christians from America to China to Russia and all over the world that were, were connected to God, consistently praying. But for me, where the image starts breaking down is I'm wondering how many Christians are actually praying versus talking. How many Christians are actually going to the Lord in faith communicating to God, believing he's able, believing he's hearing, and praying versus just talking because of the way they've been trained. So is it in reality that this uh, big board, Christians all across the world, tapped in communion with the Lord is actually only a few, few and far between. Uh, we're doing the motions phenomenal. Jesus talked about that in many parables. We know what to say. Add a few Jesus here, a few God here. Make sure you say amen, otherwise it's not legit, you know. Four years ago this past week, a good friend of mine, Jake Gregory, uh, fell off a cliff. I know many of you guys are familiar with the story. She was attending our church community at the time. And uh, rushed to the hospital. Doctors gave her, uh, I don't know, what was it, Lori? Percent chance to live, something crazy. Yeah, very, very small percent chance. Never forget this. Never forget this. It was like 70, 80. I don't know. There could have been hundreds of us. I'll try to shoot low. We're all out there praying. Now, you've had moments in your life when your prayers feel desperate, haven't you? 
Like where everything, like all of a sudden, like you're face to face with life and death. Jake was, I think, 17, maybe 16, 17, 18 at the time. So you're picturing her sitting in there on the bed. I'll never forget this moment. We're sitting there praying, like 70 of us, locked arm in arms in this waiting room of this hospital. It's a powerful moment. But you know what starts to happen? People start praying, but they're not praying. They're like comforting themselves in their prayers. You see what I'm saying? They start speaking out as if they're going to God on behalf of the group. But really what they're doing is they're preaching to themselves in a mirror to help deal with the grief in case Jake died. And I remembered like sitting there, like getting furious in my heart, like this is not a time for weak-hearted prayer. This is not a time to preach to yourself in the mirror. This is a time to plead the throne of God, you see. And I believed in my heart that he could do it, that he could do a healing work. That he could reach into that, that brain that was swelling and that heart that was seen to be fading. And that he could transform it all. But all of a sudden people were just praying things they had been trained. Oh Lord, just help us in the case that all... I'm like, no, in the name of Jesus, God, come down now and heal this girl. Leaving no doubt. And you know what? In my heart, though, there's been other times where I failed at this. In that night, in my heart, I just said, you know what? I'm done with this communal prayer. I'm going to the Lord myself. And that's what happens a lot of times in communal prayer. It's so powerful. It can be so amazing when the church is gathered in faith. And at the same time, it can be a massive distraction and self-serving. When all of a sudden you've got people who are praying, not in faith, preaching to themselves, or more importantly, preaching to someone that angered them yesterday. Remember? You guys know those prayers. And Lord, I just pray that people who are gossiping yesterday, <laughs> and they're like looking up, you know. I see, I see that. I see that eye, you know. That you would help them, God. I mean, all of us from, you guys know those prayers. So let me ask this, let me ask this, let me ask this. How much, how much praying are you actually doing? That prayer looks different than weak need, weak-hearted prayers. Are you guys with me? The prayer that's offered in faith, the prayer that goes to the Lord believing He can accomplish, and He will answer, yes, no, or later, He's going to answer every single time. He will answer. That prayer looks different. It looks more serious. And that's the theme of James' whole book. It's time to get serious about your faith. He told us in chapter 2, faith without works is dead. He told us in chapter 1, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And so now I know what all of your question is. I want to pray in faith, so how do I do it? Do I just muster it up? All right, God, now I want to pray in faith. Go. And all of a sudden, your heart just starts palpitating. Oh, yeah, I believe it now. Here's what I've learned. The more you press into Jesus, the deeper your faith gets because his character gets revealed and there's no place else to go. That's what happens. And as a Christian, the theme of this whole letter is that you've been sealed with his spirit. It's in you. God has given you the gift of his spirit that's illuminating his word, that's guiding your life, and that's reminding you of the things that are following him. And so when you have the Spirit inside of you, when you press into the Lord, then all of a sudden your faith grows because you keep watching Him be Him. Are, are we together, right? But you start disconnecting from Him. You start finding yourself on the hamster wheel pattern of sin. Then guess what happens? Pretty soon you find yourself completely disconnected, praying weak, 
feeble, lack of faith prayers, but going through the motion still because you know you're supposed to. What James says is the prayer that's offered in faith, that'll make a person, that'll make a person get well. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. What he's alluding to is um, God's ability to save the heart, the soul. <laughs> it's way more than just physical, right? It's spiritual. These are examples of what God does to the heart. He doesn't come and put some band-aids on the skin. He reaches in and restores and renews and reheals and, and heals, rather. That's our God, right? And so I just want to say one more thing on this before we move on. What would it look like? What would it look like? What would it look like if believers really were pressing into the Lord? If we got rid of our laziness and the mentality that this is all duty, pressed into the Lord through His Word and communion with Him, and all of a sudden we found our prayers to be more depth and to actually believe that He's able to accomplish it and actually think that He's hearing it, what would happen? Uh, what the word says over and over is that he'll bless that, period. He'll bless it. Why? Because what the Lord is going to do, he's going to say, you guys keep praying. Watch this. You guys keep getting in communion with me. That's his will, isn't it? He wants us near, and he's provided the way through his son, Jesus, okay? So no more talking, more praying, my friends, all right? He adds this in verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed, this brings up a large can of worms here. Um, there's a difference between confession and repentance. Christians, uh, us, have gotten pretty good at coddling one another. We've gotten pretty good at confession. We've gotten pretty good at times of Opening up and sharing, especially with like-minded brothers and sisters. You guys uh, know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, someone says something like, man, I'm just really struggling in this area of my life. And the person who they're confessing it to, yeah, like me, me too. Like that, That's exactly where I'm at. And pretty soon, there's this connection. Why? Because you're in the trench together, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Anytime you confess the same sin of others, you find yourself in the war trench together, and there's community in that. Watch any war movie, right? Like, there's power in the trench together. But there's one thing to confess, and there's a whole other thing to turn from your sin and run back to God. And what James is not saying is confess your sin and just sit and tell everyone it's okay. Just coddle one another. That'll be great. It'll be awesome. Yeah, I messed up again last... Yeah, me too, man. I just keep messing up. But we're doing it together, so it's awesome, you know? Like, it, that's never the scripture. Confess your sins to one another, and what does he say after that? Confess and what? Confess and what? And pray. But now we understand that when James says pray, he's meaning in faith. So if you confess and you're praying in faith, that means you're getting in communion with the Lord, and that means you're turning from your sin and turning to Him. Are we together? Okay? It's an equation that works every time. Run from your sin, run to the Lord, period. And guess what? All of a sudden, you'll find healing in that. Isn't the gospel so incredibly simple, my friends? I'm not saying it's easy, but it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Pray for one another. You may be healed. And then he says the prayer of a righteous person 
has great power as it is working. Now, if you grew up in the church um, and you came to a serious point in your life, you found yourself coming to this verse in a really intense moment of your life and uh, finding someone that you thought was a relic in the church, you know? You came to this crossroads and you even quoted this. You're like, listen, listen, listen. James 5 says, I can't remember the verse. I haven't read it in a while. But I know it says the prayer of a righteous um, man or woman availeth much, the King James says, right? Or it produces something. It, it's effective. So you're righteous, so it's time to pray, right? Like, here's my need. Um, I think we misconstrue what this verse is saying. Well, the, the prayer of a righteous person, let's talk about righteous, being made right. How are we made right? We're made right in the eyes of God through Jesus, period. Are we together? Okay. He never looks at us apart from Christ and says, that person is awesome, right? Like, man, they're just, they're serving everyone. They have 19 homeless people at their house, like that person. No, we're seen through the lens of Jesus, and that's victory, amen? That's a great thing, okay? So the righteous person is made right because of Christ. And the righteous person then, because of Christ, is pressing into God. And because of that, like 1 John 5 says, he's praying the will of God, the promises of God, because he knows God. And so his prayers are powerful and effective because 1 John 5 says when you pray the will of God, he hears and he answers. So the righteous person is pressed into God. He's praying God's word and his promises. And guess what? God answers those prayers. It's not because he's awesome. It's because God is. And when you pray his promises, it produces results. So his point is, listen, church of Jerusalem and Matthias' lot. Is anyone sick? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing song of praise. And at the end of the day, you go to the Lord for everything and watch him work. And when he works, that will deepen your faith even more. Not because you need a sign, but because you see his grace manifested in him answering prayers. Let me ask this. When was the last time God answered one of your prayers? Like, when was the last time you watched sought and you just you went after it in prayer and god blessed it and he answered it in a powerful powerful way is it a shame if we're if it's taken us a while to to get there listen when he does answer have you ever been around those people come on come on have you been around those people where god has answered prayer what are they talking about God answers prayer, right? You guys know who I'm talking about? And, and if you're like searching your mind, actually, I haven't heard that statement in a while. Isn't that telltale then? Because when God has answered your prayer, like that's what people are talking about. You'll never believe this. I need to share this story. Is Jason Scott here? He may be, he, sometimes he comes to second service. Jason Scott, he's one of our lot family leaders. He has a, he has a messed up back right now, okay? And if, if he's uncomfortable with this, we can take it out of the, and just don't tell him in the second service. All right. He's got a, he's, his back is hurting. So Saturday night at the Lot Family Leader Retreat, we just had like from 9.30 till 10.30, we just prayed for healing in people. You're like, man, we're getting pretty rowdy. Yeah, like it's what the Bible says. Like, I don't, you know. And so we just prayed for healing. Jason's also been looking for a job for a couple months. And it was really big on my heart. Like, pray for healing, pray for healing, pray for healing. Okay. In Jason specifically. Calls me today. Text me today, rather. Says, uh, got a job, city mortgage, go time, right? And like, so, so, my inclination, my human inclination is to do what? Man, wow, the circumstances, you know? Like, 
man, like, this is crazy. We were just praying for Jason to be healed and for God to do work. And seriously, I woke up Sunday morning. I was like, how's the back, bro? You know what I mean? It's like, still kind of hurts, you know? And, and some of us, some of us in that moment would be like, oh, man, Lord, you know, I'm done praying, right? But instead, guess what? 72 hours later, Jason says, hey, I got a job. I've been looking for two and a half months. And in my mind now, I went instantly to like the Lord's answering prayers. We were praying for healing, and the Lord knew what kind of healing Jason needed. And so pretty soon, like, he's just progressing this. And I'm going to keep praying for healing in his back fervently, right? But it's just this powerful image of, like, what could God do? And uh, over and over in the Bible, it says, anything. Uh, Verse 17 says this, kind of an interlude to give us some encouragement. Um, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, which was different from many thoughts of the uh, Israelites. Elijah was like, Elijah, you say Elijah, like people got excited, but James encourages him. No, 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 no. He was, he was in, a, in a nature like ours. We do the same thing. We know some prayer warriors, some people who have worn out the carpet groups at their house. That was my grandfather. Some people who are always praying, and we're just looking to those people instead of getting on our knees ourselves. Are we together? That's what James is doing here. He's like, no, 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 you can pray too, okay? Elijah was in a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. First Kings 17 and 18, crazy story. Elijah prays that a drought would come, and three and a half years later, he prays that the drought would end, and God answers both prayers, right? So again, like some of us of weak faith would be like, man, crazy, right? Like the circumstances there, how did that all line up? There's this amazing communion through Christ between God and men. And what I'm asking right now is, would you give God the chance to answer your prayers? Because many of us in our heart right now aren't even giving him the chance. And when things happen, when we could be giving praise to the Lord or resting in his grace, we're, we're chalking it up to mere circumstance. Are we together? Okay. So, for me, a huge, huge, powerful piece. And then he ends with this in s- such an interesting fashion here at the end of James 5. My brothers, as Jared uh, so awesomely taught last week, like this is a huge piece of James's language. My brothers, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Most letters in the New Testament, I'm not sure if you read them, it's Paul saying like, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's Paul saying, and tell this person hi, and I hope to get out of jail soon. We'll see how it goes, right? Like, it, most of his, they're like benedictions. So why does James end this way? It's almost like leaving us at a cliffhanger. Like, whoa, whoa, no, there has to be like an amen or something. Or just add it in there. Like, help, you know, help us feel some comfort. But he doesn't. He says, if anyone's wandered and brings him back. It's an amazing thing in the church. So, again, he's writing to a church that are under tremendous persecution. And the whole book of James, his whole heart is prompting 
in the, in the hearts and the ears of his readers to know the seriousness of their faith. Uh, this is a cell phone. Uh, I have the uh, iPhone and a cracked screen, as you can see. Recently, I've been uh, having, having to be on the phone quite a bit, um, just taking care of stuff at the, uh, the jail, which, by the way, eventually we'll stop calling it that, okay? I'm not sure when. <laughs> I kind of like it still, right? Where do you go to the church? Oh, we're at the jail. I don't know. Okay, it's weird, but um, have you ever noticed that when you're talking on the phone, uh, often you start pacing? You ever notice that? Right? Uh, today, I, I was talking on the phone for like 10 minutes with someone, and when I hung up, I was like, where am I right now? <laughs> I have no idea what just happened. Because you're, you're, you're like, you're trying to multitask, and you just naturally start walking worse have you ever been driving a car? Right? This is why, like, no text and drive, right? Have you ever been, like, on the, on the phone and, like, you're, you're in such a zone and, like, your exit's, like, 10 miles back, you know, and you're just, like, cranking away, you know what I'm saying? Uh, this kind of wandering, meandering, like, um, the best way I could describe it is in a fog, James is saying, if, if you see that a brother's in, in the fog, if he's wandered, if right now he were to wake up and he wouldn't even know where he's at, what James is saying is go after those brothers. Have compassion on those brothers. Have grace on those brothers. Why? Because we're called to be not just hearers of the word, but doers. Go after those brothers. Encourage those brothers. Let's stand firm together. Let's lock arms as the church, in this case of Jerusalem, in our case of Matthias Lot. Let's lock arms. This, this call to faith is serious, what James is saying. Some of you are losing your life because of it, James is saying. And so listen, if you thought for one second that it's insignificant, that somehow you can live frivolously apart from the spirit, that you can indulge in the world and somehow still live for Christ, you are mistaken. It's black and white. It's for Christ or for, for the world. There is no in-between. So he says you go after the wanderer and you lock arms with them and you watch God save. And it's God. It's no one else. And so tonight I'm not going to ask you what brothers have wandered because your mind would wander. Well, I know this person's really struggling. It would be nice if I'm going to end James asking, have you? Have you wandered? Cell phone to the ear. Living for the world, pacing around, having no sense of direction. Having no sense of how serious, how life and death faith is. Is that you tonight? I feel like James in, ends this way with just a period. Christ is worth more. The gospel is our treasure. And so the wanderers must come back now. And so I ask you, if you find yourself tonight in the fog, once claiming victory in Jesus and now needing to wake up from your slumber, what would it look like if God softened your heart right now? If from the pit of despair that you feel, He answered the cry that He couldn't deny. The cry to come and rescue you. What if that happened tonight in you? And all of a sudden the fog cleared and you again saw the reality of Christ like you remember seeing a while back, even a week back, even yesterday because today feels distant.
James is saying, what if the wanderers find their answer together in Christ? What if that happened? I think what he's saying is then a whole bunch of people would be praying in faith, living in faith. And what he said in chapter 1, verse 22, would become reality. As they wouldn't just be hearers of the word and go through the motions. They would do what it says, not out of duty, but because of celebration for the Lord. So have you wondered, are you in a fog? I just want to end saying this. Uh, God's grace is sufficient, isn't it? Listen, the fog's never too thick, never, ever too thick for the reach of the Lord. And so if you're wondering, like, what, what do I do now? Call on his name. There's no other name to call on. There's no other comfort to find. Is any of you sick? Go to the Lord. Is any of you suffering? Go to him. Is any of you rejoicing? Go to him. Sing songs of praise. There's no other answer. There's no other place to go. And so if you're in the fog and you're just like, I don't even know what to start, call on his name. Jesus, I need your help. Remind me of who you are. And then all of a sudden the church, in this case Jerusalem, in our case Matthias's lot, finds itself arm locking in arm. The church marching forward together, not in our victory, but in the victory of Jesus. Proving to the world that faith without works is dead, not because it's duty, but because it's our freedom to obey. What a freedom that is. Let's stand together. Come on. So James himself, historians say Josephus wrote and was clarified by another historian, um, was gently pushed off the top of the temple to his death because of his claim for Christ. We've been studying, learning, getting engulfed in someone who from the beginning we've said is very serious about the Lord, his brother, his half-brother. And so the question remains for us as we watch the example of James. Is following Christ life or death or is it for us a religious sideshow? No more talking. Praying that he's able. That he's capable of healing. That he's capable of repairing your marriage. That he's capable of taking that sin in your life and showing you how he can fill it with other things. That he's completely able to mend the relationship that feels so broken. He's able to provide the job. He's able to heal the back. He's able to do it all because he's God. Let's go to him praying and not talking, believing, and then let's watch. And I pray that we'll give him all the glory in the end. So Father, for the wanderers, for the distant, for the confused, for the hurting. I pray right now for courage, not just to confess to one another, but to pray with each other and to repent. I pray for courage to call on your name. I pray, God, that right now that you would increase our faith. Help us believe your scripture that says to, to draw near to you and you will draw near to us. God, help us trust that. 
I pray that you will do such a changing work in our hearts tonight, believing again the power of the gospel that, that you can save even a sinner like us. God, please, please come right now in this room and do a miraculous work of healing and help us not attribute it to anything else but just your hand, your move, your work, oh God. Please come in this room and heal, God.